our industry is an industry of human connections, whether it be when we're acting or, I mean, you've been on enough sets to know that we, we immediately form a family. It could be a dysfunctional family, but it's still a family. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dear Actor Podcast. As always, I am your host, Sage May. I'm sad to say that this is the second to last episode of the season, but luckily the network has renewed us for a season three. Just kidding, there is no network and that's why we need all of your support, reviews, and shares but there will be a season three. Our guest this week is an actor and producer who you've seen acting in The Blacklist, Marvelous Miss Maisel, and more. Having been a line producer for tons of big name indie films, she knows the industry better than most people. She also has her own production company, Pate Productions. In her free time, she teaches an acting class with the casting director from season two, episode two, Donna McKenna, as well as a class on how to create your own short film. We'll talk about that in a bit. We're gonna talk about all things acting and line producing, Please welcome Pat Patterson. Hi, Pat. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I am so honored that you asked me. Thank you. Of course. I wish you guys could see her. She looks like Marilyn Monroe right now. <laughs> she has really cheap Marilyn Monroe readers on. <laughs> no, she looks amazing. Um, I'd love to hear how COVID changed things for you as an actor and a producer. Last January, you know, um, I decided to start doing EPAs, equity principal auditions at SAG. I, no, I'm sorry, at equity. Just, just to audition. I was taking two different classes, but I said, I pay dues. Let me just show up and do these things. So I was, I was having fun doing my lives and this and that. And one of them I showed up was for the remounting of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, my favorite role. I studied under Uta Hagen, who created the role on Broadway in the 50s when I was a young woman. And... I made it through three rounds of callbacks and then COVID came, done. And they're not remounting it to my knowledge at this point. So it was like, okay. And then I was, well, actually I was booked for two commercial auditions. I haven't done a commercial audition in five years and they were sad. And then March came. Mm. And so I have a book, I swear to God, I want to write called, and then March came. And stories <laughs> about what happened to everybody, you know, when March yeah. came. Well, as a, as a line producer, as opposed to a producer, as a producer, I have projects that I, you know, played with and rewrote and massaged. But as a line producer, I took on a couple film tax credit audits to prepare it for the auditors just to have something to do. You know, I was walking 12 to 15 miles a day. There's just so much you could do. There was nowhere to go, you know. And so that's basically how I got through COVID, those types of work. Um, and, and. You know, luckily, I don't know if you had this same experience. So many casting directors from all over the country said, you know what, we're opening up, just send us an audition. So that was yeah. fun. I just enjoy doing that and, and getting in front of people, whether or not they look doesn't matter. As an actor, I got to prepare. That's, Uda would always said, even if they're not paying you, if you're acting and auditioning, you're acting. Enjoy the process. I enjoyed that a lot. I got my... um first rep over like towards the end of covid um so before that i wasn't really going on many auditions anymore um i had done the student film thing a while ago and i'm like i'm no more no more of that yeah, no more of that i have all the real footage but during covid when i was still unwrapped 
I was busier than I'd ever been because they were all doing open calls and meetings and like so many Zoom things and so many like Instagram lives. It was insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, you know, three on three and this and that. And all yeah. Stuff. Yeah. All over. And it was like, I even taught a course, a course, <laughs> Actors Connection, I think it was, for, yeah. you know, making your short film. Like, I-, I can tell you how to do that. And so, you know, it was fun. You know, I mean, and it gave you had to have something to focus on. That's so cool. So I did. Yeah. So um, you said you trained with Uta Hagen, which is amazing. I read her book. Um, I'd love to hear how you got into the industry. Uh, Growing up, uh, I grew up outside Philadelphia in South Jersey, a lower Mm -hmm. middle class family. I always wanted to be an actor, but I was obese. I weighed about 100 pounds more than what you see me. And I was three three inches shorter. So it was a a real package. Um, (laughs) And movie stars back then because I'm a woman of a certain age, obviously, you can tell by my voice, were beautiful. They were models. They were, you know, they were Marilyn Monroe. They were Hedy Lamar. They were this, they were that. The other. They were studio. And I, they weren't Melissa McCarthy. You know, they weren't people that looked like people. They were above the fray. And I was like, I can't do that. So I would go to my parents' basement every night and I could pretend that I could sing, dance, and act. I was a triple threat. I am not. <laughs> I can, I, I can move well, but I've taught fitness at Equinox for 18 years, but that's about it. And, but I never told anyone. So I went off to college. I got married at 23, as people did in my generation. I moved to Connecticut, and my husband at the time said to me, and I got a master's, what do you want to do? I worked with abused and neglected children. I said, I'll, give me a week and I'll tell you. And I, a week later, I said to him, I want to be an actor. I never said those words. I was 24 years old. And he said, well, what do you have to do? And I said, I think I have to train. Um, probably New York, because I thought theater was what I wanted. I didn't mm-hmm. see my first play until I was 15. And so he was doing an internship. He wanted to do psychiatry. Coming to New York was like Mecca for him. Mm-hmm. So he got a residency at St. Vincent's, which no longer exists. And we moved in July 1st, 1977 to New York City. July 14th was a blackout. And it was the summer of Sam. So all the young women, I'm, I'm blonde, you can't see that, but I'm blonde. And, but all the young women in my class were these dark haired beauties from Queens, which is where Son of Sam were killing people. So they were in a panic and I was like, hmm. <laughs> so I did two years in the American Academy. I auditioned there, I, I got in, not knowing that they would have taken a cat if you could pay the first year's tuition. It's the second year you have to get into. And um, then when I was done, I was like, okay, now what? There was a director, at the end of the year, you would do a play and they'd bring in a guest director. And I made great friends with the guest director, Doric Wilson, who has since passed. And he was down the village and he said, you should go to HB. You should. Earl Hyman, who played the father on Crosby show many, many years ago when it was the doctor show. And, and then he said, and when you can, you had to audition to get to this class. I mean, I, I had never acted. I'd never been in a school play. I had nothing. So that's how I got into it, is that just like got up my gumption and said it. Figured out, as you do with most things, how do I go about doing it now? And that's how <laughs> And then, of course, I got my equity card like that because this guy, Doric Wilson, wrote plays for strong women, usually older than I was at the time, but I, I read older. Mm-hmm. I, I read pretty much like I read now, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I was suddenly doing four or five plays and I got my equity card, which was fun. 
So, and, and from that, it was, a, it was a series of different things. I mean, I walked away to grow up. Because I was like, what, 26 now? I sort of needed to grow up um, and get a job. They, like, I'm not, I've never waited a day in my life on a table. I get a mm. job. And then eventually I married and had my three children. But then I produced theater up in which I started a theater company. And then I produced opera in the Midwest. And 11 years ago, I said, but you came to New York to be an actor. There's enough things in life you'll regret that you had no control over. Let's not regret the things you have control over. And so I, 11 years ago, came back, said, I'm giving myself five years. And in five years, I was so way past where I thought I could be that I said, oh, okay, I made the right decision. So that's where I am now. That's amazing. Um, what did you do in those five years? I'm curious. Well, the industry had changed. When I, you know, when I was back then, 10 actors put on a showcase, five scenes, you know, two characters, 10 minutes each, 50 minutes, wine and cheese, and they came. Casting directors came, managers came, agents came. No way. I came back and said, send me your reel. I was like, you my what? You're real. <laughs> like, what? What do you got? The footage. What do you got? I'm like, oh, that's when I did student films. I was like, okay, what do I do? So I did student films. They always have a mother because they're writing about what they know and they know that they had, you know, about their mother. Yeah. I had some great experience. I mean, I did maybe three, maybe four until I stepped in some dog poop and brought his dog on the set. And I went, <laughs> I'm done. That's enough. Um, and so I got together and did short films. And then I produced my own film because I had a short story that my daughter wrote that I wanted to create my, I have a production company, Pate Productions, and I wanted to put something out there with me as, a, you know, the lead and created a, a little reel. You know, and there was actually one student film I did. This kid was like in high school that was so good. It stayed on my reel until last year. Wow. That's a great character. I, you know, then I, I, I got to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like emotionally hugging onto it, <laughs> you know, and then because I produced, I produced my first feature 10 years ago, Junction, which is a good feature. If you'd like to watch it on Amazon yeah. or whatever, Apple or whatever it is, it's a good feature, really good feature. Um, and then produce some other things. Um, I got to know a lot of people because mm -hmm. it's all about who you know. Donna was the casting director, but that's how I met. I worked with this woman, Donna McKenna, the casting director that Sage had on earlier this year. Lovely, lovely woman. But I met her because she loved this actor, Tom Pelfrey, who... It was up for a Golden Globe this year. He was in our film when he was like 20 years ago, 28 years old. Um, and she loved him. So she came to every premiere we did, you know, and that's how I got to know her. But it was out of that that I started the relationships because as an actor, you appear needy. As a producer, you appear a potential employer. You know, again, visually you can't see me, but I look like somebody that could employ you even if I couldn't. <laughs> I look like that. I am not an actor. But, you know, so I, I was able to make those relationships and get called in based on those because mm -hmm. I wasn't needy to them. I was as needy as anybody as an actor, but I didn't appear that way. That's the best way to put it. So I'd love to go off of what you just said. Um, how do you make lasting connections? I mean, you talked about Donna already, but I know you have a lot of them. So if you have any interesting stories, I'd love to hear them. I, I think it's just... Not being an actor around them. I mean, I'm a mother and now I'm a grandmother and I've managed law firm. I have a whole life that is much more important than the fact that I'm an actor. And mm -hmm. so when I meet them, I, and all of us should, because they need, you know, we always say this, 
Donna and I teach a class and we always say, we need you more than you need us actually, because you're the solution to our problems. I know you hear that and you think, yeah, 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 but you are. Please, dear God, come in and do a great audition and then I'll have to worry about that character and I can move on. And that's true. Uh, but, uh, you know, so when I would meet these people, it was always, it's like a first date. It really is. It's like asking questions, showing interest. And I'm not just pretending, but just showing and remembering and following up. I mm -hmm. always follow up. I was in a location scout in Santa Fe area on the Navajo Nation last week. Yeah, that's a week ago. And the guy that was showing us around and um, Shirley McLean has our whole one is Navajo Nation. It's, it's just the most stunning thing. It's like the Grand Canyon. Wow. And I had IMDb'd him and he had a 30 year history and we, we were chatting away. And, and um, by the end of it, we were just chatting about the land and the, the ceremonies that still go on 800 years later. And, and he's not um, indigenous. I think he has a little bit. Uh, his wife's from New York. I said, smart man. Um, <laughs> but but it, by the end of that, he asked for my card. And I gave him mine. At no point did I talk about being an actor. I just talked about what interests him, which was this beautiful landscape, beautiful, amazing history in front of me. I mean, it was stunning. How, how could I not? But if you're so focused on the fact, I need to get a job, I need to get a job, and I need yeah. a job, trust me, um, you miss the opportunity to make a connection. It's, it's an improv all the time. It's listening and responding. You're just not listening for your cue you're listening for what's important to the person in front of you and if you get that i mean when here my first agent i walked in i went oh my god look at those shoes where did you get those shoes? i love shoes and I'm, <laughs> I'm serious i love shoes oh my god the manala blancos and i got them at it's like connection you're in yeah there's your grandchildren on the set you know i have two grandchildren you know whatever it is it's an improv I think that's the best way to put it. You know, Facebook helps you because you can, you know, see and Instagram and all that. But I also follow up. I do Google. I told you these guys in class. I do Google alerts. Well, I want to follow. They get an award or they're in the news or something. I, I get weekly. I get something and I can send them a little email or and if they have a brick and mortar building, a little actual note card. Nobody does that. That's so smart. That relationship going. Totally. So I'd love to go back to what you said about like the Google alerts and following up and stuff. So do you do that as an actor or do you do that as a producer or well, my um... signature line is as an actor. Um, I have a company, Pate Productions, which is my production company, but I do it as an actor. Even like right now, I'm in supposedly in pre-production for a huge film and every email I send out has my signature line as an actor because I'm really not if I were producing something and reaching out to people as the producer, I would change the signature line. But now I do everything as an actor. You know, most people in the industry know that I do both. Um, so no, I always reach out as an actor because I'm responding. If I'm going to, I'm not going to tell them, oh, I'm line producing this, you know, seven million dollar movie because that has nothing to do with me as an actor. You know, I might say, oh, I have a role in, or that, you know, I this weekend I there was a young man that was on a pilot shoot. March, my first thing back from Covert, Staten Island, and he was just so good, so sweet, worked so hard. Donna was like, this kid's going to be a star. And I said, I agree. And he wanted to do his first short film. Mm -hmm. So he reached out to me 
few months ago because Donna said, call Pat, she'll do it for you. She, she adores you. She'll do it. And I did, you know, and you know, I and I was like, absolutely for you, I will do this. Two days ago making breakfast for 20 and then lunch yesterday for 20. <laughs> because I just wanted to support him. Did I get my rate? Not even close. You gotta get I, I got enough to pay for my tolls, you know, to Brooklyn, but um, you gotta get back. And yeah, so I always reach out as an actor. Yeah, that's awesome. For those who don't really know how to follow up, what are like the guidelines you do? Sure. The first line. The first line is usually something that they're doing that mm-hmm. you've seen in the you know like, hey, congratulations! I see you just you know booked this great new pilot that you're going to be casting. Love it. And mm-hmm. then I give them um, something about me. I you know I I, I just finished a, a short shoot um small character but you know how i love to do character work and then the third thing is some value added meaning i don't know it's going to be a full moon and there's some piece of information about that full moon that no idiot in the world but me is going to have researched that <laughs> something yeah. something like uh, several years uh, maybe two years ago before covert there was oh, i can't remember the director but it was a director that we all know that had been a photographer for the new york times when he was a young man and there was a whole retrospect for it in the city. And that became my tagline for the place. Did you know, I don't know, you know, Chris, Chris, Chris Nolan has a whatever. And everybody for the two person came back. Really? You know, <laughs> just something that, and if it's near a holiday, then instead of something to do with the elves or Santa or Thanksgiving yeah. or the pilgrims, something that's just a piece of fun. If make them laugh, make them smile. They're going to remember and eventually they'll remember it's you. <laughs> it may take them a while. Yeah, that's so smart. I usually if I like meet with like an agent or something at like one of those actors connection one on one types things. Um, and they mention something about a show they're watching or actually I just had one this week and she was saying that her cucumber plant was dying. So I looked up how to fix that and I like in the follow up was like, this might help your cucumbers. So exactly right, because our industry is an industry of human connection, whether it be when we're acting or, I mean, you've been on enough sets to know that we, we immediately form a family. It could be a dysfunctional family, but it's still a family. So that's the human connection that we're all looking for. And if you give it to them, they will latch on to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm sure people are wondering why you're making so much breakfast and lunch for people. So I'd love to hear how you got into line producing and what it is for those who don't know what that is. The line producer, um, you know, you have producers, you have executive producers and the money people generally. Producers are the people that have carried the project along, whether they found the script, whether they found the writer, whether they wrote it, whatever it is. And now it's at a point where they need to make the movie. So they need somebody to come in and say, okay, how much is it going to cost us? Think we have this amount of money. So, you know, you, you break down a budget, which goes through every, I mean, there's 65 pages long. What every gaffer, what every grip, whatever craft services, how much water are you going to have? How much ice do you need? How many trucks do you need? How many, what kind of camera generators you just go through? Now you get to know over time by asking, like right now in New Mexico, it is so full. Robert Redford's there. Netflix has built a studio there. NBC has built a studio there. It is so full of productions. It's really hard to get 
crew. So mm -hmm. my rates had to go up. So if I were going to pay three seventy five for a gaffer, I'm suddenly paying four fifty or putting it in the budget so that I'm competitive. So you start to learn. You know, when you're on set as an actor, um, you start to you don't ever ask anyone what they're making, but you start to get a sense because they're going to bitch if they're not making enough. Oh, what, so what are you making? You know, you start gathering this information. Um, and then there are, I'm talking non-union. I mean, I've worked in union, but union, there's rates. You have no choice. you got to pay them this. you got to pay them that. you got to do this. They don't. And that's almost impossible until you've been in this industry 10 years to understand what that means. But in a non-union, other than SAG, because it's usually a SAG cast and non-union crew, uh, it's it's like the feel of the fingertips. You start mm -hmm. to understand where you need to spend money. And it's always above the line, meaning above the line of the producers, the director, and the talent. Below the line is everything else. The location, the crew, the food, the trucks, the post-production, it's all below the line. Above the line is where an independent film most of the money is spent. Which is true. A gaffer is not going to get anyone to go see a film. I don't care how good he is. <laughs> yeah. But a star is. So I understand that. I, you know, I don't. So I, I do the budget. And then once the budget is there, I don't raise the money. They go get the money. And then I'm in charge of the money. I hire the crew, deal memos, you know, catering, location, agreements, all the, everything. I do all. It's a business manager. Of, you do have to have an artistic understanding because let's say they say, I want to fly the drone through the window. I said, well, regulations say you can't fly the drone through the window, but there's a, there actually is a fireplace. So you can fly it through the fireplace and you won't need a permit. It's mm -hmm. that kind of thing that you can do that, you know, so you get involved slightly with the artistic part of it all. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm still part of the whole hoo-ha uh, as, <laughs> as to how you get into yeah. it. Well, um, there was a young woman that came on the project I'm doing now who said she went to line producing school. I went, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Where? And then they had hired her to do the budget. She came in with the budget. My friend who is the producer of this said, oh, God, could you possibly work with her? I said, no, I'm not going to work with somebody else. I'll do a budget for you. But I'm not training someone. That's not my job. Hire me to do a budget? I'm your girl. So she did the budget. She brought, they handed me this $10 million budget that had no basis in reality. I said, this is ridiculous. Just throw it away, burn the paper. And they went back and did the budget properly. So there is in school. It's a matter of um, understanding the industry, understanding, you know, you got to know what, you got to know what positions are. And as you're on set, you as an actor pay attention. You will know what a gaffer does, what a grip does, what a best boy does, what a dolly is, what a grip trick is, what, you know, what the lights are, what the, this is what this thing in the camera, what the amorphic. You just pay attention and you absorb. And if you don't know, Google it. There's somebody out there. There's me. People can't, you know, I'm always available to take calls from people or emails from people asking questions. And you just slowly build up your houses, the people that you rent from. So if you got a problem, you call and you know Andorra and say, eh, I need this tomorrow. And you it's again, it's relationships. It's like mm -hmm. any business, it's relationships. Oh, okay, Patty, you know, I got this, I can do it. Yeah, eh, maybe not. How about we'll try here? And it's all about massaging relationships. At the end of the day, I'm responsible to make sure that the budget is followed. All the side paperwork, which is bang, I, you can't see it, but I just shot myself in the head. It's the hardest thing to do because they're so punitive. 
and and it's just it's almost a trial and error starting small and you know you can go on really go online and look you got to work with movie magic budget if you're ever going to do it seriously you can't just pretend and put it on excel spreadsheet because the industry standard is movie magic budget sorry i hate to tell you that <laughs> that's what they're going to look for it's logical if you have a logical mind which most artists do but they don't use it because you have to, you have to balance that creativity with something on the other side. You have a logical mind. You just start looking in the big picture. Look at a set and say, what do I need? And you look around, I got lights, I got camera. I got the PA back there scratching his whatever. <laughs> I've got this, I've got, I got to, okay, I got to, I have got to account for all these people. I wonder what I can get them to work for. You sort of break it, it's, it, it's, it's not magical, it's just logical. It's just business. Yeah, that's so interesting. You talked about how you taught a short film class at Actors Connection. I'd love to hear, like, a, I guess the gist of how you make a short film, which is, I don't know if you can even have a gist of that, but. <laughs> what is the most important thing, Sage, about making a film? What do you need? You need money. So the first thing you do is, like I said, you have an idea. And I think, and I, I, especially during COVID, I mean, making a film with your friend, even if it's a Zoom film, why not? You're being creative and you might make something that's actually spectacular you don't know um so it, it became about how you would go about doing it oh like this kid this weekend he lives we were in brooklyn and it was a beautiful neighborhood where he grew up it was you know it was a neighborhood of stoops and sitting outside it was just like everybody knew everybody it was well and he used his mother's home he used his mother's friends his neighbor's home and he, he did running along a cemetery, but it was a handheld camera, so we didn't need a permit. That's stuff you sort of get to know. And so he had no insurance requirement. It's really about having a story. You have a story. And there was a young woman in my class, this particular online class, that had a two-minute short that mm. she shot on the subway prior to COVID, obviously, because this was right as COVID started. And it was two minutes, and it got picked up because it had no dialogue. It was just visual. However you want to tell your story, you start with a story. The story, you know, Albert Hitchcock, those of you who should know who that is, said there are three elements you need. Story, story, story. <laughs> Real estate, location, location, location. That's what's going to drive it for us. You know, that's what we come to see. I don't come to see how my hair looks or my, I got my hair on my pro glasses. <laughs> see the story I'm telling. Um, so you start out with that and then you just break it down. Well, I'm, you got a script. You've written a script. Try to write it like an independent producer, meaning don't put kids in it because they can only work so many hours, don't, especially if you want to do a union. Um, you know, don't do crazy locations in New York City like Times Square because that permit will kill you. Tell a simple story. We all have one. And there usually is what I was saying earlier about student films. They, they wrote about what they knew, which they always had a mother. They wrote about their lives. There's nothing wrong with your life. It's interesting. Your story is interesting. All of our stories are interesting if told properly. You know, it's not a bitch fest, if you will, but if you tell it properly, they're fascinating stories. Write a simple, write a seven page something, which is, you know, five, six minutes. Totally doable. You probably, if you look around, have a friend that wants to be a DP or has a camera, it doesn't have, it could be an iPhone. There are amazing lenses and programs on your iPhone that you can use. It doesn't have to be a SAG, if you're a member, it's a whole course, which drives me crazy, of making a film with your iPhone, which I'm like, really, guys? You know, but it can be that. And then just logically break down, what do I need? Well, I need to feed them. 
I need to, you know, I need costumes. They're going to pull from their wardrobe because more than likely it's contemporary. It's not a, it's not a period piece. I, I said to them, tell a simple story that touches you. Because if it touches you, it's going to touch me. And whatever we remember, we remember what makes us laugh and what touches us. And then I went into, you know, some of the things that they needed to look at, which is, you know, your financing, whether it's a, I told them some different places they could go to do, um, yeah, there's Kickstarter, there's Refunder, there's, there's uh, I've used from the, I haven't used it for my films, but other people's from the heart productions, which only takes like 3.6%. You know, look for grants. Who could give you a grant for what you want to do? Yeah, is it a lot of paperwork? So what? You know, especially during COVID, what were you doing exactly? <laughs> yeah. Oh, anywhere. Do, do. Write, write the grant. Learn how to tell you, how to sell your story. Because when you write a bigger story, you're going to have to pitch it. Right. So it was really just about how to break down the pieces. Um, you know, tell a simple story. You've got more than enough friends who are actors. You probably got friends who are, you know, got a camera or want to be a DP. Work. It's, it's none of you are going to know this reference, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. When I was growing up, there was Judy Garland and um, Mickey Rooney, and they used to do all these films together as kids where he said, I've got a stage, I've got costumes <laughs> on the show. That's exactly what this is. You've got, you've got a story, you've got people that can or cannot tell it exactly right, but just do it. When I was studying, I studied with Terry Schreiber when I came back. And you would sign up. No, it wasn't with Terry, somebody else at HP. You would sign up for your scene and nobody wanted to sign up. And I'm like, hello, can I sign up twice? Just get up and do it. As an actor, Sage, you get up and do it. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part too, is just like doing it and committing to it. They're not gonna, what are they going to do to you? People say, and, and you've heard this, I'm sure your relatives or friends, how do you take the rejection? They don't know me. They've yeah. never met me before, but you know, some have. But it's like, they're not rejected. They don't know Pat Patterson. <laughs> yeah. Rejecting maybe the way I saw the character or what I did that day, or they were having a bad day. You walk in, you do your work, you say thank you, you walk out. Um, when we were always in the room for um, auditions and it wasn't a tape, I used to go in with the mentality of I may as well try and like commit to something crazy because if they hate it, I'm never seeing them ever. I'm never seeing them again. <laughs> yeah. So I might as well do it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a great mentality to have. And every time I would really stick to that, I would get at least a callback. Right. They want, you know, Donna said that in the classes we teach you, they want to see choices, even if they're wrong. I, I, I once had an audition that was with my dear friend who I've worked with for the last 10 years. He's been my husband like five times. <laughs> and it was a play and I love the play and I did the audition and it was a wonderful audition. I know it, he knew it, but the director, the, the writer who had never written and the director who had never directed didn't give me any uh, direction. And they thanked me and I left. And the director the, uh, and the writer said after I left and my friend was there because he had already been cast, well, she did it like so-and-so. I thought like this and he went, well, give a direction. Because if you don't give me, that's what we're trained to do. We make a choice. If it's the wrong choice, that's fine. We made a exactly. choice. It's another one and we'll, and see if we can do it, which yeah. you never did. And luckily it became a S circus. So I looked out. Me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on that one. <laughs> I'd love to hear what your favorite project you've ever worked on is. It's a long time ago. I produced theater. We created Fleetwood Stage in, in Southern Westchester years and years ago. Uh, and it was a play. 
four-character play by Lee Blessing called Two Rooms. And mm-hmm. while it was so special, most of you won't remember this, but there was a period, um, there was an AP reporter named Terry Anderson who was kidnapped by Hezbollah, whatever, everybody kidnapped him again. For seven years, he was in captivity. And they, they kidnapped a lot of people. He got I, I remember saying, if he ever got out, he'd never be able to survive. How, how do you come back from seven years of captivity? You know, yeah. in darkened rooms, handcuffed, blindfolded. He got out. I mean, he didn't escape. He actually got out. They, they eventually, there was an exchange, Terry Wade, Archbishop of Canterbury. There were all kinds of people in it. Um, he had a girlfriend when he got kidnapped who was pregnant. So seven years later, he had never met the daughter. They ended up moving to Westchester. The, the play lead blessings did called Two Rooms is basically about that time period hmm. where it's a husband in the cell and the wife in her house where she tries to replicate the cell. And then the reporter trying to get her to talk and the State Department trying to get her to not talk and how they're communicating, you know, not physically, but, and he and his wife, Solange, and his daughter, whose name I no longer remember, came to set for a read through with us and, and supported the whole project. And it was just like a magical, magical moment where I felt that art and humanity and history and life all sort of came together. And it was, I mean, it was my favorite artistic project. I mean, there's many things I've done that I've enjoyed, but this was one that just made me, took my breath away sitting there. That sounds amazing. That's such a cool story. Even like hearing you talk about it just now is like that. I want to see that. (laughs) It was a play, so there's nothing there left. Dang it. (laughs) Just memories. So this is the last question. Um, Yeah, I always ask everyone this one last um, because sometimes this is the hardest one. Sometimes it's right on the top of the head, though. (laughs) Um, I'd love to hear what you would have told yourself when you were starting out. Helen Mirren said it recently in an interview, which is don't give such a F. But what people think. Now I can say that because I'm, you know, about to turn another year older, getting closer to 70. I can say that with no issue because I have lots of stuff under me to support me. But she said, you know, we, we, we just angst over all the wrong things. Don't give such an F about it all. Take a breath. For me, I have faith, you know, pray and one foot in front of the other. That's it. That's great. I think that's a great answer. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Pat. Pleasure. What fun. Thank you so much, Sage. Of course. Thanks for listening. Feel free to follow the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at Dear Actor Podcast. And feel free to email us with any questions, guests you'd like to have on the show, or anything else at dearactorpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week with our next guest. But until then, have a great week.